So in the church that I grew up in, the pastor had a very particular way of beginning every sermon he preached. Without fail, every sermon, whether it was the morning service that was broadcast on the local TV channel, or it was the evening service, because yes, we went to church twice on Sunday, but the evening service was more casual and more intimate, but he always began every sermon by speaking the same two words. Now, it took me some time to notice, but even today, even now, in my mind, I can hear his booming voice as he confidently began his message, Jesus Christ. And uh, wow, it would just kind of take you back. He would say it with, in a sentence, right? He wouldn't just speak those two words. He would say something as far as like, Jesus Christ is here with us today, something of that matter. But I remember in one youth group meeting, it was one of those gatherings where we had the opportunity to ask the pastor anything. Those are kind of a dangerous gathering. But it was ask the senior minister anything. And one of the students asked the pastor, well, why do you begin the sermon the same way every single time? Why don't you just mix it up a little bit? But he explained that the first words out of your mouth when speaking are the words that most people hear and are likely to remember. And he's probably right because I don't remember much of his other sermons, but those two words I remember, Jesus Christ, the most important words. But he probably took a page out of Jesus's book because here in, Gospels, in Matthew's gospel, the first words out of Jesus's mouth are probably perhaps the most important words he begins his sermon with the word blessed. What a great way to begin a sermon, right? And Jesus repeats this word, another device used by many preachers, repetition. He repeats this word throughout his sermon as if to say, you need to hear this word more than once. It's a really important word, blessed. Well, blessed is quite possibly the most frequently used word in the Christian vocabulary today. We often say, have a blessed day, right? Or God bless you, especially when someone sneeze, sneezes. Um, when I was in high school, I led a group of uh, underclassmen in Bible study, and we would often see each other around campus, and we wanted to greet one another and encourage one another in a special way. And we were all good little Christian girls, and so we would come uh, up to somebody and say, you're a blessing, you're a blessing. It's just a quite way to say Good job. We see you. But it's also, that word is also uh, common among unbelievers to describe, you know, themselves when particularly something good has happened to them. Uh, they think of blessed as, you know, kind of a spiritual term for good fortune. They've received a desired outcome an exception. They're exceptionally comforted by that word. Just do a search on social media, hashtag blessed. It'll come up with photos of people sitting on the beach drinking cocktails or perhaps uh, partying with their BFFs. But what does Jesus mean in this passage, in the Gospel of Matthew, in his first sermon, when he uses the word blessed? I believe that through blessing, he introduces himself to his disciples. He's telling them who he is, because you see the the people he calls blessed reflect his own character. A 19th century monk and commentator on the Gospel of Matthew, Christian of Stavelot, writes, and I quote, Christ fulfilled all of the Beatitudes, 
because he taught nothing except what he had fulfilled himself beforehand. He was poor both in possessions and in spirit, saying, The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was meek, saying, Learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart. He grieved over, over other sins when he saw the city of Jerusalem and wept over it. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness, saying, My food is to do the will of my Father. He was merciful, saying, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He was pure in heart, saying, Be holy, because I am holy. He was a peacemaker, saying, I, I grant my peace to you. He suffered persecution, saying, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. End quote. So Jesus spoke these words having experienced them, but Jesus also introduces the disciples to themselves, telling them who they will become if they follow him. For surely a follower becomes like their leader. We, as disciples of Christ, are to become like Christ. So it might be true that even the best preachers have only one good sermon in them because Jesus's final sermon, as I mentioned before, echoes this first one. So in Matthew 25, Jesus talks to you that are blessed by my Father. Only this time, the disciples are doing the blessing. They're feeding the sick. They're giving drink to the thirsty. They're clothing the naked. And Jesus is the one being blessed. Those whom Jesus blessed in his first sermon now bless others. Now, I try to stay away from cliches and trite sayings, but it is certainly true that we are blessed to become a blessing. Look at these characteristics that Jesus speaks of as being blessed. When we look at them, you might fall into a trap that I have fallen into and many others have fallen into. The trap is simple as it is subtle. Believing that Jesus here is setting up the conditions of blessing rather than actually blessing his hearers. So at times I've read these Beatitudes and I've thought and I've prayed, oh, if I could just be more gentle. Oh, Lord, help me to be gentle. Or if I could just learn to be more merciful. Or perhaps I've prayed, oh God, please make me a peacemaker at this moment. But these prayers and these longings are of someone who is trying harder in their own strength than in their own might, not just under, not understanding what perhaps Jesus is preaching here in his sermon. There are countless Bible studies published on the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, and they ask this question, which of these attitudes do you need to work on most? First off, the word beatitude has nothing to do with our English word for attitude. It actually comes from a Latin word for blessing or blessedness. So the question of which of these attitudes do you need to focus on is rather the wrong question to be asking. N.T. Wright describes it best in his Bible study of Matthew, Bible study that gets it right, and I quote, if we think of Jesus simply sitting there telling people how to behave properly, we will miss what was really going on. 
these blessings, the wonderful news that he's announcing, are not saying, try hard to live like this. They are saying that people who already are like this are in good shape. They should be happy and celebrate. So notice that Jesus doesn't use the word if in this message to his disciples. He says, blessed are. But still in our hearts and our minds, we, we gravitate towards this question then, how can I become one of the people who are already like this so that I can be blessed? Well, the answer is simple. You can't. <laughs> not on your own, not on your own strength or your own merit or just your own willpower, but you can in the grace of God. So I imagine that the disciples were sitting there before Jesus at that day on the mountainside. They would have heard a description of their own lives. They were some of the poor and the downtrodden. These disciples were seeking purpose and meaning in life, and they'd heard that this rabbi had some answers. I guarantee you, though, they didn't feel very blessed as they heard Jesus bless them. They didn't think they had any reason to be happy or well-off. But Jesus sits down, and he looks at them, and he declares them blessed. Jesus blesses his disciples. One of the themes that you see in the Gospel of Matthew is righteousness. Jesus says in the same sermon, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But wait, we just read the first beatitude, and it seems to contradict that. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So which is it? Is it either those who are righteous or more righteous or more spiritual than the religious leaders, or those who are experiencing spiritual poverty? Which one of them will be in the kingdom of heaven? Well, the key is in the word righteousness. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he writes that he may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul understood that never can we obtain true, perfect righteousness by ourselves, not by trying harder, not by acting better, not by doing the most. None of this will make us more righteous. But it is our faith in Christ which declares us such. It is not in right living, but in right relationship with Jesus that we enter into this abundant life and we live abundantly in him. 1 Corinthians 1 affirms this belief. It, listen to verses 30 and 31. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The poor in spirit then are blessed because they acknowledge their spiritual poverty they understand to some extent that their bankruptcy before God. The poor in spirit are those who find their identity 
in true relationship with God. And hear this, listen to this, out of a right relationship with God flows the character of one living in the kingdom. And that's who Jesus is describing this day. Those who mourn, not only mourn for their own personal loss and their own suffering, but they mourn for the state of the world and just how far we've come from the love and the goodness of God's kingdom, right? All you have to do is watch the news and you weep over what is going on in our world, another shooting, another injustice. But the promise of God is that they, those who mourn, will be comforted. The presence of the Spirit of God will console them and give them hope. By the transforming work of the Spirit, too, those that are part of the kingdom of God will be meek, meaning they'll be gentle, that they'll be kind. Not, not a weakness, not a laying down like a, being walked on like a doormat, but one who is kind to those around them, and particularly those that are kind to those that are not kind to them. And the promise there is that they will inherit the earth. It won't be the powerful, as we would think. It won't be those with the most resources. It was those that offer up gentleness and kindness to their neighbors. So it's not surprising, though, that Jesus goes on and says, the kingdom people will hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll have a longing for God. Their longing for God will grow, and then they'll finally be satisfied when they see God face to face. The remaining Beatitudes that Jesus speaks focus on how disciples of Christ, those who have entered the kingdom of heaven, will relate to those in the world. They will show mercy. They'll extend compassion to others, especially those that might not be compassionate towards them. They will be pure in heart, having godly motives, godly thoughts, and godly reactions. They'll be peacemakers, seeking to bring about peace wherever and however they can. Peace with neighbors and peace with God, peace with themselves. And finally, those who are in right relationship with Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, they'll be treated unfairly and, and maybe even harassed and just because of the way they live. They live their life as kingdom people following Jesus. And notice that this last beatitude, Jesus then is speaking directly to his audience. In all the other Beatitudes, you'll notice that it's as if he's describing others, some, some others out there. But in verse 11, he says, blessed are you. The disciples right in front of them may have been a bit shocked. He's speaking to them. They will be the ones persecuted. They that have left their former way of life and chosen to follow Jesus. But here's the great promise that they'll receive. Their promise, of, their promise will be a great reward in heaven. A life lived with God for all eternity. So the blessed, flourishing life described in Jesus' first sermon only comes about in Christ. 
So what would it mean for us to truly live into this reality of these blessings? Well, Jesus gives us a glimpse, if we look again at his final sermon in Matthew 25. He describes again, you that are blessed by my Father. Jesus mentions in that sermon just how the blessed ones will become a blessing to others. They will seek the good of those around them. Indeed, how the blessed have blessed even the one who blessed them from the beginning. So we live in this blessed community. You are blessed. And this blessed community continues to grow as we share it, as we bless others. So this message is not a message of try harder. Try harder to be who Jesus describes in his sermon. No, this sermon, this message, is one that says rejoice. Celebrate because as a church, as believers, as disciples of Jesus, we are these things. We are blessed. So this week, may you pray and may you seek God. May you develop that relationship with Christ through study of scripture, through prayer, through abiding in God's word and God's presence. For you are blessed.